welcome to episode 181 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This show was recorded on Sunday, 4th of February, 2018. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. And now for a limited time, new customers to Jensen USA who are referred by the spokesman get 10% off one item. Simply enter the spokesman, no spaces, at checkout. Hi there, I'm Carlton Reed of bikebiz.com and this show was engineered on 4th of February, but it was actually recorded yesterday. That was the day which meshed with the busy calendar of my bicycle advocate guests, Becca Wright and Jonathan Fertig. Despite being just two or three miles apart from each other in the Boston area, uh, they were recorded in separate places using Skype. So let's listen to what they had to say about proactive protest and the art of grumpiness. Hello and welcome to episode 181 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. Today I'll be talking tactical urbanism with Boston-based bike advocates Jonathan Fertig and Becca Wright. First off, let's talk about your Twitter names. So Becca, people will know you better as the illustrator Bikey Face, yeah? Yes, yes. Is that, is that you? Is, is the person, the character that you draw, is that you? Um, a little bit. She's inspired by me, but in a way just kind of one aspect and exaggerated. Um, but I guess yes and no, slightly fictionalized. Because <laughs> sometimes you wear a helmet, sometimes you don't wear a helmet. I mean, what's, where's, where's the... Well... Some of it is, especially the helmet thing has evolved as I've evolved because, I mean, I started Bikey Face when I was a, a straight up newbie and I didn't know anything about the bike world. Um, and as I've been doing that and also biking, I've started to learn more about the issues around biking. And um, and one of those is I've, you know, slowly wanted to de-emphasize the helmet use just because I think there's a lot more things to, to emphasize mainly infrastructure and um that aspect of things so um i've wanted to you know that's something i've consciously started to you know not fade out but not be an ever-present thing in in the in the cartoon sure and jonathan i've got to ask you about your name because you've, yeah. you've got to explain what it is right leg pegged what what's where, <laughs> where is this coming from yeah um so I sort of picked that Twitter handle a long time ago, um, just out of the blue. And what it what it's about is rolling the right leg of your pants so that you don't get grease on it. Get it? Okay, I get it now. Yeah. Do you know I hadn't? I should have. I should have thought that. That's that's something I should have tweaked. But anyway. Well, it's funny when I've pointed that out to people, they they typically say, "Oh, right, of course." Mm -hmm. But until then, it makes no sense of why I have a handle like that. Yeah. Okay. No, no, I totally get it now. So before we get into your respective backgrounds, and I absolutely would like to, to get who you are in real life, not just like your online personas. But first of all, let, let's, let's talk about the, the reason we're talking about you really today is that you've got this joint tactical urbanism intervention. And we can talk about what tactical urbanism is while we go along, I guess. Uh, but there's a large cutout 
of this bikey face character next to a buffered bike lane. I'm assuming it's downtown Boston. Is that right? Yeah, it's in the back bay. So it's sort of, it's on the edge of uh, downtown. So tell us what tactical urbanism is. Tell us about why, well, Jonathan, why do we have a, a bikey face? And this is a large, you can tell us the, the, the size of this. this, is a large life-sized bikey face character telling motorist stuff. So, so right. w w give us some background on that particular intervention. Sure. Um, yeah, so the, the cutout, and there's, um, I believe there were five different characters, maybe four. Um, they're, they range from about four to six feet tall. So they're quite large. Um, and so I'm an architect. So in my office, we have large format plotters. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, Becca had drawn these characters for me after we had a little sort of um, brainstorming session online um, that just sort of happened impromptu one evening after um, the mayor put his foot in his mouth and started blaming people who ride bikes for getting injured. Um, and it just sort of came off as a joke initially of, oh, what if Becca's art was in the street? And I said, oh, well, that's actually a really neat idea. And so she drew me some characters and the one of the bikey face was the tallest one. I think that one was like six feet tall, I, like I said. And so I, I plotted it and then I mounted it with spray mount to gator board, which is like a half inch thick uh, sort of foam core, paper backed foam core. Uh, and then cut them out mounted them to fence posts, which I then embedded in five-gallon buckets of concrete. So the, each piece weighed about 100 or 110 pounds. Whoa, and how do you get these to the, the installation point? Um, so I rented a U-Haul. In the U.S., there's this a rental mm -hmm. moving company. Uh, I don't know if they're over there as well. Um, anyway, so they just have vans and trucks. Um, and I had some friends come over and help. Original, I've always worked alone, and this was the first time where um, I engaged the help of others. So first, Becca obviously drawing the art, and then friends to actually bring it out. Because I had, I think I put 15 of them out, so it was it was really heavy and very cumbersome. Jonathan, you meant to say you did this all by cargo bike. You realize yes, that right. <laughs> well, that was originally my goal. You know, I said, how can I do this and not use a car? And mm -hmm. um, I realized it was just impractical. So unfortunately, yeah, I did have to rely on a cargo van in order to get them out. There are times when cars and vans are useful, just not all the time. Yeah, that's that's the takeaway from this. That's right. That's okay. right. And, and Becca, you are, uh, you and Jonathan, are you part of like an advocacy group where you discuss these things and that's how it came up when you were with the mayor? Or is this some other way of, of you becoming involved? I, well, I think it was at least for me, um, I'm not, I, I tend to be a little bit behind the computer sometimes. <laughs> um, but I think there is, there is an online community as well. Um, and I think I was particularly a little bit grumpy one day, um, about the state of the streets and the state of kind of the city government. Um, and <laughs> that usually translates into cartoons. So hmm. sometimes <laughs> I was having a conversation with Jonathan online with some, some, you know, characters I was creating to kind of, you know, put out there and express my frustration, but it kind of evolved from there, um, I guess. But yeah, yes, yeah, part of the same community, the same same streets and the same sort of like what we're responding to. Mm -hmm. 
How is Boston generally, or, or the, the, the suburbs where you are based? How is it for bicycling now? Well, I mean, with with Boston, there's there's Boston, the city itself, which is um, kind of the, what people know of, but also but it's there's a series of towns that are very close together and you know they're very they're relatively small so you can bike through three or four towns very you know easily to get to work um but each city has a very different approach to how they treat bicycles and so when you're biking to work you can cross several little territories and have totally different approaches um so because of that you can kind of see side by side you know, what's good, what's bad. Um, and the Boston, the city, um, has been lagging a little bit and you can see that on a three mile commute to work, um, because you're going through some other, other areas. Um, I think I bike through three cities each day, essentially. Um, You've got rivers, river paths as well. Well, yeah, you go across the river into Boston and then where I am, Somerville is on one side and then there's Cambridge, um, yeah, so there's a couple different little, little jurisdictions, I guess. Um, and they're all, all different how they, how they approach things mm-hmm. and what speed they approach things. So the speed of, of the bicycle stuff that's, that's happening isn't fast enough for you guys. So you wanted to speed it up with, with tactical urbanism. Yep. Yes. So describe... Jonathan, describe what, for, for those who don't know what tactical urbanism is, and there is actually a book all about tactical urbanism, which is published by my publisher, in fact, by Island Press. But for those right. who don't know what tactical urbanism is, so, so tell us what it is. Sure. I mean, so it can really come from two angles. It can come from a sort of advocacy angle, um, and then it can also come from a city angle. So I came from it, from the advocacy angle, and what it's about is um, making small little interventions that are intended to inspire long-term change. So uh, whether in this case it's putting a piece of art out on the street to separate a buffered bike lane or separated bike lane from parked cars, or in other cases I've put flowers out or cones um, to show people that there's a different way of using the street and that it doesn't have to be a big, long engineering um, endeavor in order to explore things. You can iterate really quickly. You can give people a sense of what it's going to be like when it's um, when a street is changed more permanently, moving curbs and things that do actually cost you know hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. This can be done for you know potentially zero if it's just a couple cones that you found on the street, or in this case, it was I think I had raised eleven hundred dollars or something online. Mm-hmm. And I did a little GoFundMe to to raise the funds for this. So it's cheap, and it also um, often when I do it, I I think that a big part of the success often is is using uh, whether it's art or flowers, things that grab attention and typically then grab media attention. Most importantly, and then the media attention grabs political attention. So um, you know, with the with the rise of online. Social networks, in particular Twitter, which is what I use mostly to publicize my stuff, mm. uh, there, there, there then winds up being a dialogue between the cities where you inspire or are inspired by people in other cities who are doing things. Um, and so you're all sort of working to push your local cities to, 
to do more. So it's one of those, those things that you've been inspired by, like the, the people protected bike lanes. So where you get people out, in effect, a human chain. That, that was in other cities, you saw that, and then you, you, you adapted it for your own city? Right, right. So I believe that, that the, at least the most recent iteration of it um, started in San Francisco, and they've, uh, there's a group of people who have been organizing them. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I think that the group of people that have been organizing them there were an outgrowth of a group of people who were doing tactical urbanism called the Transformation Department. So they had also been putting cones out, doing online fundraisers to buy flex posts, and then they were gluing them to the street um, and were getting a lot of media attention. And then I think the, these people came together and figured that they could work together and organize these uh, people-protected bike lanes, and I found it to be uh, a really compelling idea. And then started seeing them. I know that there's a group in uh, Dublin that's been doing a lot of them. It's been really active. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some in London too. I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no, it's 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 gone global. Yeah, yeah. So when I organized one here in December, um, and in essentially 24 hours notice, I just like threw together a quick little thing in Photoshop saying this is what's going to happen. I did it on you know a Thursday evening, and 50 people showed up on the next night and it was cold too. It was like 30 degrees. Um, and you know, again, got media attention and, um, yeah. And it's definitely a, an instance of being inspired by work that's being done in other cities. And how, how much of what you do, the tactical urbanism, putting, putting the flowers on the, the, the bollards, et cetera, how much of that becomes official? Cause you originally do it unofficially so it then sometimes becomes something that the, the municipality then takes up and, and actually makes a physical thing where before it wasn't a physical thing. Right. I mean, unfortunately, it hasn't happened as often as I would like. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there is one, one area where I think that um, it's a, a section on a street here called Massachusetts Avenue or Mass Ave. Mm-hmm. which used to be on my commute, my daily commute. Um, and there was a, a donut shop that people would always park in the bike lane to go into. And so for months and months, maybe even a year, um, I would drop cones on my way to work to separate this. It was a curbside bike lane with no parking. Um, and when the city did go in and do a Vision Zero project, they put um, some flex posts, some tightly spaced flex posts right in that area. Um, and I, it's a... They didn't do that sort of treatment anywhere else, so I, I like to think that that one particular block um, was a result of, of what I had been doing. Um, but otherwise, um, the city has been a little slow to, to pick up all of my great ideas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and going across to you, Becca, with, with mm-hmm. now your art being mm-hmm. quite large in uh in your locality what kind of feedback are you getting from people who already know your your art and they know that what who bike your face is and there's recognition there and then people who this is their first time of seeing bike your face so what kind of reaction are you getting well i think there's a, another part of the conversation which is sort of like the the public art aspect and being able to interact with art in a life-size way which is kind of bizarre since i've seen it like 10 inches high most of the time (laughs) um but i i mean i also think so many so much of what we encounter um just on the street is just um 
formal signage that's just saying do this, um, don't do this, um, but to have something that invites you to kind of that's playful, that's um, random um, and bizarre. There's something unique to it. It makes, especially on a bicycle where you can stop and look some look at something or um, kind of stand side by side to it. It's it's kind of fun um, and it really kind of invites a certain like public interaction to it that's you know interesting. And and I know Boston's been very big on trying to have more of you know, a larger art scene in that respect. So on one hand, it plays into it, but, um, you know, they also like to have things very formal and, you know, official signage. And so mm. there's kind of, I don't know, a little bit of a, a little bit of tension there, but definitely, definitely is, it's fun and invites people to kind of learn more, have a conversation. And I like that about having art in the street. Cause it's quite informal. It's like, it's not, yeah. Yeah. It's not a diktat. You're not saying, you know, you, you've got to have bike lanes. It's a softer approach. Yeah. And I, you know, I purposely, when I, when I do these things, I try and make them much more like silly, um, not necessarily making prompting a negative response right away, but more of a playful response. Um, definitely like to, you know, have a humor, um, that sort of thing, because I think that that works better than um sort of the you know like don't do this sort of messaging um and it's unusual so it, it definitely catches attention um so i like that about the project are people like doing selfies next to it that kind of stuff well unfortunately it wasn't up long enough uh -huh. <laughs> um, and that and that's what that's probably like the thing that i really i really wish it could have been up for another 24 hours at least so that because it it went further on social media than it did in person. And, mm. you know, there, you know, the word got out. And by the time people found out about it, they were gone. The city came and picked them up because they weren't official signage. That was going to be my uh, next question. How long do these things actually last? Because one would assume if they're not official, boom, they're, they're taken down pretty quick. Yeah, I think it was less than 24 hours, wasn't it? I might have. Was it less than 12? Right, because I did it very late at night. Yeah. Uh, and they made it through. Right. I think you're right. It was maybe early afternoon yeah i think uh, i heard about it like 1 or 2 p.m and at, and it might have been picked up before then that was just the new the you know online buzz but these, yeah, um, there were these things a number of people who so didn't the, get to see it uh, expressed disappointment in missing it so when, yeah when i talk about police coming along here and ripping these out it's got to be like workmen from the city work you know they're kind of like standard staff who are doing road yeah. stuff anyway they come out Right, right. It was the public works department, I believe, mm -hmm. that came and took them. Mm -hmm. Which so, I think is always interesting how they can pick something like that that up so quick. But yeah. to put um, flex post or bollards for a protected bike lane, that yeah. that takes a while. Or a, <laughs> a month. Month. or a badly parked car or something that can that can stay there for thirty years. But yeah. a bit of art, yeah. no, it's going to come down straight away. So, right. do, do you get any problems from the police when 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 the police come along and see you putting these things up late at night? Are they winding their window down, saying, "What are you doing?" No, um, and I'm yeah, I'm very fortunate in that. Um, it, typically, I'll wear a reflective vest. Mm -hmm. um, I may have even worn a hard hat when I did it this time. And, and it's so official, you know. It's you can very do official. you can do anything in a city if you're wearing a high vis and a hard hat. Absolutely. I mean, it's been uh, yeah. I refer to it sort of as a a Harry Potter cloak. You can you walk around. It's like you're invisible. People just assume that you're supposed to be there, mm -hmm. and that what you're doing must have some official reason. Because why else would you be walking around the street with cones or a big bucket of concrete? Uh, and so 
it is it's amazing i've never had anybody say anything to me while doing it um and you know i mean i uh, there's no doubt that um that i'm privileged in that i'm a white man walking around the city doing it you know i think if i was a person of color i would be a little bit more concerned about it mm-hmm. uh, and, I, and and i'm i'm mindful of that so on the other hand i have been pulled over for biking on the road by a cop <laughs> just just cycling along yes i was pulled over for for biking on the road um yeah and i was kind of shocked and i and i was like what and i and he was like you know you can't bike at rush hour and then he kind of backed off and then he wasn't sure about the law and i was kind of surprised but yeah that was a little bit of a uh you know interesting morning commute i bet wow yeah now, I would like to get into uh, who you actually are, and I'd like to do that in a second. But right now, I'd like to cut to David, who will uh, take us through our show sponsor. We'll be back in a minute. Well, thank you, Carlton. And hello, everybody. Sorry to break in, but I just wanted to take a few moments to remind you of our show sponsor, and that is Jensen USA at jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. Now, Jensen USA is where you can get everything that you're looking for for your cycling lifestyle, whether it's a complete bike, a component, some apparel, shoes, tools, something for nutrition, you will be able to find it all at Jensen USA. And you will be able to find a huge selection of products at unbelievable prices with unparalleled customer service because that's what Jensen USA is all about. Jensen USA was founded by cyclists for cyclists and when you call them and you have a question, you talk to one of their gear advisors, you will be speaking with a cyclist, which means you know that you'll be getting the right product for exactly the application you are looking to fill. Go ahead and check them out. That's Jensen USA, J-E-N-S-O-N-U-S-A dot com slash the spokesman. We are extremely appreciative of Jensen USA for their longtime support of the spokesman. And we are also appreciative of you for your support of Jensen USA. If you haven't checked them out before, go do it right now. That's JensenUSA.com slash the spokesman. Thanks so much for their support for your support, and thanks for allowing me to break into the show. Now, back to the Carlton and the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. And we are back. Thank you very much, David. And uh, I am with uh, Becca, who is better known as Bikey Face, Becca Wright. And we have Jonathan Fertig, who on Twitter is better known as Right Leg Pegged. And we now know why he's called uh, Right Leg Pegged. So if, you, if you've come into the show late, that's uh, uh, spring backwards to go and find out why. So now I want to find out who you actually are. So, so Jonathan, you were talking about before about being an architect. Yep. Tell us, yeah, so... tell us what you do exactly. Sure. Um, yeah, I work at a firm in Boston called CBT Architects, um, and uh, I've been focusing on um, university work for the past um, y- roughly year that I've been there. And over my career, I've worked on um, elementary schools, um, multifamily housing, um, hospitals. So I'm not particularly specialized uh, in my professional work. Um, but my architectural practice 
right now is a little bit sort of separate from all of my um, tactical urbanism work. I haven't yet figured out a way to make a career out of um, putting flowers in the street. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, I've been practicing for uh, almost 10 years, I believe. So tell me about your bicycling background. How did you get into being this radical gorilla, <laughs> flower-placing gorilla? Uh, yeah. where, where, where did, where, tell me the evolution of your, your uh, radicalization. Sure. Um, well, so, I mean, I've always loved bicycles. I mean, I remember as a child, of course, the freedom that came with uh, learning how to ride. And then um, in between my junior and senior year of high school, so I was... 16 or 17, I guess, um, I rode across America from Seattle to New Hampshire with a group of other teenagers. It was sort of, rather than going to summer camp, I went out and rode my bicycle for two months. Sweet. Um, yeah, which was a, just obviously a, a fantastic experience, especially to have at such a young age. Um, and then, uh, you know, sort of fell away from it a little bit. Um, I, I lived in Atlanta for a couple of years which is um, really car dominated. Mm. But towards the end of my time in Atlanta, I remember I I started getting back on the bike a little bit um, and feeling really frustrated about how hard it was to get around. And then I moved back to Boston. I grew up here um, and was riding the train to get to work um, and getting really frustrated because the train here, it just always seems to be a mess. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were a couple of people in my office that were riding regularly. And so I slowly got back into it. And then um, I got exposed to riding in critical mass rides. Um, this is probably in 2007-ish, I guess, 2008 maybe. Um, and felt incredibly empowered by it. Um, the, the rides then were relatively large, um, typically, I don't know, 300, 400 people sometimes. And taking over the streets was just a really incredible experience after getting you know daily uh, bullied by drivers and saying, you know, whose streets are streets. So I think that was the, my first real exposure to a more active form of activism. Um, since then, uh, critical mass here has sort of died, which is unfortunate. Um, but there are some other sort of larger group rides. Uh, but then, um, I guess it was really when I got on Twitter and started connecting with people all around the world, really, um, and learning about infrastructure and learning about um, all of the other amazing things that bicycles are responsible for or capable of doing, um, and getting increasingly frustrated with my daily rides to work, um, that I just, um, I don't know, something just sort of broke, and I said, I need to try and help fix this. Um, so the the real... I guess, moment for me was when um, a woman named Anita Kerman was killed uh, riding in the summer of 2015, um, and that was on my daily commute, so it was an intersection that I knew intimately well. I know Becca knows it very well as well. Um, And it just, it really hit me in the gut, um, and it felt like that could have been me, it could have been any of my friends, um, and I was just fed up. So, um, since then, I've just continued to really sort of hammer on the city to try and improve stuff and to get more people out riding. Mm-hmm. 
And have you seen a difference since since, since that time in 2015? Have you seen a what What have you seen happening in in your cycling uh, yeah. vision? I mean, I, you know, there's no doubt that there's a lot more people riding bikes in the city than there were uh, ten years ago. I mean, it's it's really incredible, and to you know, when you get that first warm day in the spring, and then mm. all of a sudden, it seems like the number of people riding bikes has multiplied by ten. Um, and every spring, that number seems to get bigger and bigger, um, is really incredible. And so that does make you feel like just the act of riding your bike and being out there and being an example for other people that riding a bike is okay. Um, you know, I think that, uh, it's just incredibly important. Okay. And, and Becca, Mm -hmm. where did you, you said before that you were a newbie, so, Mm -hmm. uh, how did you get to become a newbie? What what got you on your bike in, in the first place? Um, well, it was kind of a, there wasn't necessarily one thing that got me on my bike. I think it was sort of an evolution. And um, a lot of it, I always liked riding my bike. And even when I was in high school and went to driver's ed, they taught us about the rules for bikes on the road. And as soon as I learned that I had a right to the road, I started biking all over my, my town in high school. Um, and almost quit driver's ed, <laughs> but my mom made me finish. And somehow as I matured, then everything, you know, moved to, you have to have a car, you have to drive there and kind of the, you know, lost, lost the bicycle. And I, re- I think my brother ended up inheriting my bike and took it apart because he th- thought it was cool and couldn't put it back together. Um, and then I always kind of missed having one. Um, and then somewhere in, in grad school, um, there is a, a a fellow student who was killed while biking, and I remember being just absolutely devastated. And I think what hit me was that I was kind of angry that that I was so afraid to bike as well, and that I was kind of angry that the road should be so scary. And I and I had no sense of advocacy or anything like that, but I think I somehow from there, you know, got the urge to to ride a bike as a protest, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and. I had, you know, at some point changed jobs and found out, uh, you know, realized that biking to work was practical. And I had a a bike path that went most of the way there. And I bought a bike and I wasn't sure if it was going to be something I, I, I stuck to. But I tried it out and I fell in love with not being in traffic every day, going to work and getting some exercise and not having to go to the gym. And um, I think that was just the, the seed was just, you know, at, absolutely like falling in love with, you know, being outdoors every day and, you know, getting around. Um, so it kind of grew from there. I started with biking just like one day a week and gradually over a year increased to five days a week. Um, and then started, you know, getting more involved. And I moved to Boston at some point, which was even better for biking, um, just because it's such a smaller sort of layout. Um, and then I was able to get rid of my car um, so it was like, it was a couple year evolution where I became a full fledged bike commuter, but, um, I didn't necessarily, you know, it, it took a while to kind of get up to speed on advocacy, what was going on, why the roads, how they are, how they are, um, you know, what I might be able to, to do, um, that sort of thing. And, and um, where, where did bikey face start? When, when was that intersection between your cycling life and your, your art life? When did they cross i think that was 2011 i believe um because that was sort of the year that everything came together with selling my car being able to be basically bike 
walking um, transit only person. And, um, and it was also partly, I was new to Boston. I didn't know many people. And so um, I think it initially was started in, on a Boston area blog to kind of, you know, meet people within Boston. I didn't expect it to suddenly I started getting a lot of readers from New York city and I got very confused. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but I think that then I started realizing I maybe hit on something. So I started putting a little more into it and actually gave it a name, um, which was bikey face, um, and, and a, its own website. But initially it was, you know, kind of getting into Boston and meeting people and trying to kind of connect with like-minded people here. Is it cathartic for you? Is it something that, because you were saying before that you get quite grumpy about something. Oh, yeah. Does, does that, thing, <laughs> that, that gets into your art? So you kind of, you, you take it out on, on your, your pens, basically, or you, however little, you do this. Yeah, I mean, I like to think that anything that's funny, there's a darker side to everything. Um, because, I mean, that's, that's kind of, that's part of it. So um, it definitely can express that, like, the silly side of it of, you know, like when drivers ask me where the nearest gas station is, um, which is just very random. But also, I mean, I grew up it, loving political cartooning and always having sort of a political edge to, to my art. And so drawing bikey face definitely is a way to comment on things um, and kind of be a little bit subversive or kind of think very pointedly about how to change minds. Um, so I've always kind of, you know, when I, when especially I get frustrated trying to channel that into um, a way to not necessarily, I, I try not to have my cartoons grumpy, but have them, you know, more convincing or kind of illustrating what my thought process is and maybe why I'm grumpy and that sort of thing. Um, and there's also a nice joy in it where I can draw anything I want to. There's, um, if I want to draw a protected bike lane, I can just draw it. <laughs> it's, there's no committee meetings or anything like that. <laughs> so, so there is a certain catharsis that you can invite people to imagine what the world could be. And I mean, a lot of being an artist is, you know, um, imagining what's not there a lot of people get very stuck in what's in front of them and how things are done um and so that's also a huge benefit it's i mean it's the same cost to draw a protected bike lane as it is to draw you know (laughs) regular street so there's really like no budget issues on imagination when it comes to drawing Mm. um draw them wider make make the car lane much smaller please So how do you think, I mean, this is going to be quite a tough question because everybody's going to be coming to this differently, but generally, how, how do you think people are interacting with your your art activism? Because these are not just pretty pictures. These are sometimes quite political and, and, and the, the illustrating political uh, concepts is obviously, you know, 17th century onwards. It's always been something that... Uh, has been picked up. It's, it's, it's not a flippant thing. These can be sometimes very, very biting. So how are people using your art to actually inform their own activism? I mean, I, I've especially seen it online and I um, like it when my work gets shared around um, for sort of, you know, the purpose of spreading information. So um, a lot of it's it's amazing how you can someone can write a very nice article or a very you know nice blog post about why something is, but it doesn't convince people. But a quick mm-hmm. a quick image illustrating it can sometimes 
you know, get to the heart of things quicker and um, people are more likely to look at an image than read something that's several pages long. Um, so even I have a cartoon that um, illustrates why why the cyclist is in the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. And I see that being shared a lot in mm-hmm. response to, you know, people online complaining about a bike in the middle of the road and, you know, people will send my cartoon to that person. <laughs> so I see that kind of coming up over and over again of the cartoons being reused to mm-hmm. educate. Um, and I don't, I mean, I didn't necessarily anticipate that, but it's something about like the internet and um, kind of the the discussion that happens. And, you know, maybe there's some help that it does in education, but that's, I mean, that's kind of like ultimately, you know, my goal is to give that sort of visual that maybe, maybe mm. change the mind here and there. Mm-hmm. Um no, I, mean, yeah. I, can, I can absolutely understand that. I mean, I've, I've written articles on the exact same topic, but you've got to spend you know, 15 minutes reading that article about the same thing, whereas you could look at yours and go, oh, yeah, you get that in three seconds. That's so annoying that you've got that power. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's. I think that's what I've always enjoyed about art is that um, I've always been in, I, I think originally in high school, I also wanted to go into politics, but I, I had... I went to um, Bill Clinton's first inauguration and he gave this long, long speech. And then my Angelou spoke and was this beautiful poem. And I think at the end of that, I was like, oh, crap, I'm an artist. (laughs) I realized that art can't necessarily be argued with the way, you know, writing can. It's kind of there's a certain emphasis and it's it's nice where sometimes it's going to cut through a, a debate in a you know very quick visual way. So that's probably why I like like cartooning the most is the ability to just kind of cut through everything and say this is this is how it is mm-hmm. and tell me about your day job then so how how are you meshing uh your 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 day job with with bikey face um i mean i don't know if it's necessarily meshed with it i mean i work full-time at a local um art school and it's actually the only public art school or one of the only art, public art schools in the United States. So it's very, you know, very much kind of like a accessible institution. And I, I think it's more, it aligns with values. They're very much about the um, citizen artist and um, making the world a better place through art. And, you know, that sounds cheesy, but then when, you know, like what I'm actually trying to do is kind of very much like illustrating that. So I, that's where I work full time. And I, I, I think it's more like the value alignment is definitely there and it's the sort of thing we talk about at work all day is you know improving the community through things just like this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and where are you going with this in the future but this is a question for both of you i guess so what what are your plans coming up so so becca you first um well i i am hoping to um finish my next book i've done two little books and I, i'm they're most one was a guide for how to bike and one was a guide on how to drive around cyclists, um, mm. which I'm still having trouble convincing drivers to buy. <laughs> um, but I, I decided to, I want to do another book that's not um, so much a guide and it's more kind of silly. So the next one is called um, Heroes and Weirdos. Um, and it's about sort of the, the stereotypes of biking to work where they either think you're an amazing, like Olympic level athlete or you're a total weirdo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's probably that's my next project I hope to have out soon. And the bike lane, the activism with with your six foot oh. bikey face, is that helping? 
Um, well, that that definitely there might be some upcoming <laughs> stuff related to that um, that will be obviously on the internet as well. So we're we're talking about like a series of photographs of it in action, that kind of stuff. Well, we're t talking. I mean, some of it, the the very quick lived Boston thing um, project that we had might be repeated somewhere else for a slightly longer term in the future. Oh, um, that's oh, yeah. that's interesting. So it becomes slightly more official. Yeah, um, but that's something that is you know upcoming, and you know will definitely be announced once it's official. Well, that sounds intriguing. And Jonathan, are you yeah. involved in this as well? I am, yeah. So I'll, I'll divulge a little bit more about it. Um, so, you know, I mean, like, like I said before, the idea behind a lot of this is to inspire cities to actually do something. Um, and so, you know, like Becca said, because of the way Boston is laid out, there's a number of cities that are very close together and they have wildly different responses to this kind of stuff. So while Boston um, didn't take too well to to us uh, putting these uh, large pieces of art in the street, there's another city that's close by which actually was intrigued by it, mm -hmm. um, and and reached out to us to to work on a collaboration um, to help educate residents and drivers and people riding bikes about infrastructure that they're rolling out. So we've been talking with them for a little while and hopefully there will be more news about it in the coming months. It's It's been a, a long and tortured process. But it's, you know, it, it was really validating for that to happen because it's the ultimate goal is um, not to, to just be confrontational about all of it, but to ultimately to inspire the cities to do something and ideally to work with them on it. So um, it's a, a really exciting development. That does sound good. Well, when yeah. you go more official with that absolutely let me know and uh, i'll publicize that as much as i can i just wanted to ask you one thing jonathan and that is mm -hmm. the, the other thing that sometimes comes up and this is almost an art thing as well in mm. that you did some photoshop work on right. a, 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 a you basically put high-vis jackets <laughs> uh, on a bit of i mean was it french what was it impressionist what was the what was the describe what the painting yeah that you, you, it was french um it was by um who was it? Claubert? Is that right? God, I can't even remember now. Um, I'll send you the art afterwards. You can put it in the show notes. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it was, in, I'm trying to remember what it was in response to it. You know, you see these public safety agencies uh, encouraging uh, people who are walking around the city to do their best not to get hit by people driving cars. And it's, mm. it's just ridiculous. Um, and so I, yeah, I took, um, an, an old impressionist painting um, and photoshopped high-vis jackets on all these people and it just sort of highlighted how ridiculous of a concept this is that we're expecting everybody to wear brightly orange brightly colored orange vests or you know have reflective ankle straps just to walk around the city mm -hmm. I mean I think Boston is probably uh, just like any other city in that half of people's wardrobe is black um, and mm -hmm. so expecting uh, people to change their wardrobe just to navigate the city uh, is absurd. So, yeah, I've, I've liked um, having sort of uh, playing with uh, imagery in that way as well and using it as an advocacy tool um, and doing it in a funny way, like Becca said, is I think is 
really important and that it's also tended to be the stuff that I do like that does tend to be the kind of thing that gets shared all over the place. And that one I do, I still see that pop up every now and then. And, and I love seeing people use it just like Becca was saying. Um, it's, you know, you've sort of hit the right note when hmm. it keeps coming back a year or two later. Yeah, but it has shorn of your your name, of course. So whenever I see it, I, I tend to then tag you in and say, well, that was actually the, the first person who did this was, was yeah, uh, I, this guy. I, yes, I, I, I learned, uh, I guess, the hard way um, that, yeah, that I should uh, put my name on stuff like that. Um, but, I, you know, at this point, it, it doesn't bother me. Uh, I'm just happy to see it out there. Uh, there's uh, a very but, similar one that I've had that, that, that has, again, has been taken out of context from, well, certainly taken away from me, and that's, I did a, there was a, a, a poster in the UK uh, by a satellite navigation c- company which said, uh, you are not traffic, you know, we, uh, you are traffic. Right. And that's a post, I put a bicycle underneath it, and I see that come up all over the place. Uh, often photoshopped, the, added different things to it, but that's just, right. it's my image, and I'm quite very happy for that to, yeah. to get out there because it's just, it's become this, you know, it's this, this motif and whoever created it in the originally, who, who cares? It's like it's now, it's out there. It's have a life of its own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the internet is really a sort of magical place for advocacy and the way that ideas just ping around the world and then go dormant and pop back up when you least expect it. Um, it's it's really interesting. But visual, both of you are now doing stuff that's very visual. And, and as you've both been saying, that helps because it's something that you can share and you can also, you, you get instantly. You don't have to have, you know, a thousand words to describe this. This is just instant. Yeah, it's, it's crucial. It, it really is. I, it, every time um, I, I hit an image that I know is going to be the kind of thing that's going to take off, it's just really satisfying to... Um, to know that, you know, the 400 tweets that came before it that didn't have the right image um, are sort of worthless compared to this one that's going to help inspire people um, to go along with whatever the, that causes of the day. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, that has been absolutely fascinating from both of you. You've got to come back on and, and, and tell us about this project uh, when it becomes uh, official. But uh, for now, uh, thanks to Becca Wright and to Jonathan Fertig for chatting today. Their contact details and project, and uh, contact details as in like Twitter names, all that kind of stuff, uh, can be found on the show notes at the-spokesmen.com. Uh, thanks also to you for listening and for subscribing to the show and for commenting on the show's website. Uh, Another show will be along before you know it. Meanwhile, get out there and ride.